Are you dissatisfied with your spiritual progress, feeling stuck without knowing why, even after deliverance prayers or years of therapy? Recover your dignity, find your purpose, and discover the thrill of walking with God once again. Explore spiritual consultations with Sonia at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Click Go Deeper on the homepage, then one-on-one, and find out how to cooperate more deeply with the Holy Spirit's action in your life with a spiritual consultation. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. Mercy, I just want you to know that my faith is being completely revolutionized by this entire study of somata meaning bodies the word somata comes from the greek for the plural of body or bodies somata is bodies and researching and looking at what the church says about the unity of the soul and the body and the human person is absolutely mind-blowing to me and i know that i'm not going to be able to do this justice i my heart is pounding actually because i know that i'm going to fumble so badly in trying to communicate some of this, but it is so glorious. So I'm just going to jump right in and I'm going to acknowledge from the get go that these first couple of shows are going to be somewhat esoteric, a a little bit kind of out there, but it's necessary to understand how the church and how the church fathers and how the scriptures see and understand the human body and its relationship to the soul, which we spoke in the, the first show last week, includes the, the heart, which is the res- reservoir of love, the centermost part of the human person, and then the soul, which includes the heart, which is the personality, the mind, thought and reason, emotion, memory, intellect, will, all of that is included in the soul. And that's been the primary focus of all of our faith. And I think that's in part, as I mentioned last week, because, you know, the church doesn't want us focusing so much on our bodies to the exclusion of the soul and the spirit, because it's the spirit that lives forever while the flesh dies temporarily. But we don't do a good job of of going all the way to the end, to the resurrection, because this unity of the body and the soul, we must understand something about it. Or else we don't understand why physical healing is both a promise, a necessity, and a reality if we have this focus on love, which heals. Love is the the only thing that heals, ultimately. So I know, I'm getting way off base here, but today we're going to talk about the creation of the body and how the body images the trinity we're going to talk about heavens and earth and the body being made from dust the naming the tabernacle all of that is really included in the theology of the body and if you've ever tried to read that (laughs) I mean good luck right it is so lofty and so condensed the material is just so rich it's very difficult to to read But my goodness, I mean, John Paul II was certainly a a soaring example of John the Apostle in that 
intuitive and contemplative posture through which becomes the lens of understanding who we are. I just, I know I'm being too esoteric, but I want to just talk about theology of the body for a moment because the emphasis there is on the relationship, the marital relationship, the physical marital relationship as part of the image of the relationship between God and his people or Jesus and the church. I want to look at it with a little bit of a different slant because some of the things or a lot of the things that John Paul II says in Theology of the Body apply to just the body in general, but specifically to suffering. And that's what we're really going to, we're going to talk about suffering a lot next week, but I think we're going to get into it some this week too, because that's been the, first of all, it's necessary to talk about suffering when we're talking about healing the body, because the body suffers. Why is that? And how are we supposed to rejoice in our sufferings? And that's been the topic of some of the conversation on the community this week. And that sort of directed me to make sure that this is the topic that that we talk about next in the series. Um, that and some readings in, in the daily readings of the church this week. But John Paul II wants to establish in theology of, of the body an adequate science of the human being. Because the human body reveals God. And according to Christopher West, the central theme of John Paul's theology of the body is that the body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. And so the body was created to show in the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden since time immemorial in God. And that mystery, Paul says in Colossians 1.26, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the body alone is capable of making visible the mystery of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm getting excited here. And so the human body then is a sign of that hidden mystery of Christ in the flesh. And throughout the theology of the body, we see really clearly John of the Cross's influence as well on John Paul II. Now, JP2's um, thesis for his uh, doctorate was on faith in John of the Cross. And that's part of, oh my gosh, I mean, those two, John of the Cross and John Paul II, oh my gosh, you put those two things together, those two people, and it's like an explosion of depth and light and love. But John Paul II, he sees in John of the Cross's belief that relationship with God is a unifying process. He sees in that, that love is what draws the person into a real psychological and an actual, a an essence or an essential, a being relationship of union with God. I hope that made sense. But the emphasis in John of the Cross is love. And, and that's what I love about John of the Cross because he is central. Love is central. Love is the center of the, the human soul. It's the reservoir. The heart is the reservoir of love because love is the the spark 
of God himself in the soul. It's the thing that animates the human person. It's the it's the thing that is most like God. The love in the human soul is the thing that's most like God. We are created from love. We go back to love. And everything that we do here on earth is meant to teach us what authentic love is. And love alone heals. And so the centrality of love in John of the Cross and then in the theology of the body through John Paul II that's part of what makes it so compelling because love is the center of everything. I don't have time to get into that sort of um, the depths of that. I mean, I could spend my whole life talking about this and could never do it justice. But it's important to know, first of all, the, the point, the takeaway there is that love is the center. Love is from that from which everything begins and everything returns and everything is healed. So love is central. But then in theology, uh, the theology of the body, John Paul II says historical man is, so to speak, rooted in his revealed theological prehistory. That means in the garden. Historical man is revealed in the Garden of Eden. So every point of his historical sinfulness, and I'm putting in parentheses suffering because we're going to talk about suffering. So every point of his historical suffering is explained for both the soul and the body with reference to original innocence and original sin. So if we're going to understand suffering, we have to go back to the garden is what he's saying. Then he says, man participates in the history of both sin and salvation as their subject and co-creator. We're the subject of physical salvation and redemption but we're also the co-creators of our salvation and redemption, both for ourselves individually and then therefore for the whole world. Therefore, man is both closed to God due to sin and open to the mystery of redemption accomplished in and through Christ. As it says in Romans 8.23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of of our bodies. So then redemption includes the human body. And I mentioned that the human person is in man's unity of soul and body. He is also an image of the Trinity. John of uh, St. John of Damascus says that the soul is rational and thinking. God gave man a rational and thinking soul by his own in-breathing, St. John of Damascus says. And the church fathers talk about this intellect and reason being two parallel energies of the soul. They are what animate the body. And so St. Gregory uh, Palamas, referring to the fact that the soul is in the image of the Holy Trinity, he writes that the Holy Trinity is intellect... Word or logos and spirit, so that the soul is created by God in his image and endowed also with intellect, reason, and spirit. And so it has to, the human person has to maintain its proper rank and relate entirely to God because he is created in God's image. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. 
Let's get social. I'm no longer on Facebook, so come and connect with me in the new Catholic Evangelista community. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to our community. We're sharing pics and prayers, love the word takeaways and insights on the daily readings, and everything else social. Come share with me. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible study method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. The human person is created in the image of God. And when we talk about that, we speak of the soul having intellect, reason, and spirit. And so because it's created in the image of God, it has to maintain its proper rank and relate entirely to God in order to be healthy. The soul must be healthy for the body to be healthy and vice versa. The soul is fractured and broken up by sins and passions. That's what we see in the Garden of Eden. And so it has to be unified when it's offered to God. And that unification of the soul takes place in all kinds of ways. But in John of the Cross, it takes place through a process of purification that unifies all of the parts of the human person in love and relationship with God. So the scattering of the powers of the soul means that the soul is sick And the unification of those powers of the soul means that the soul is healed. And man, because he's made of body and soul, either of those elements alone is not a man. A man is not simply a body. A man is not simply a soul. A man is a body and a soul, a unity. God called man into life and resurrection, and he didn't call a part of it, but the whole thing. So the soul was created, the church fathers say, get this, at conception. The embryo is endowed with a soul at conception. The soul is created at conception. And the soul at that time is just as active as the flesh. As the body grows, so the soul increasingly manifests its energies. And the ancient philosophers, we talked about this last week, talked and believed that the soul is in a specific place in the body, that the body is the prison or the container of the soul, and that the salvation of the soul is its release from the body. But the fathers teach that the soul is everywhere in the body, which is why if the soul is sick, the body is sick. St. Gregor- uh, Gregory Palama says that the angels and the soul, as bodiless beings, they're not in a particular place but neither are they everywhere all at the same time. The soul, as it sustains the body together with which it was created, the body, is everywhere in the body. The soul is everywhere in the body, although not in the sense of being located at a place or encompassed, but the soul sustains and encompasses and gives life to the body by virtue of the fact that it's in God's image. So they are indissolubly linked is the point. And the soul is everywhere in the body at one time. So, but that doesn't mean that the body is, is the location. Instead, it's actually that the body is encompassed by the soul. It's, it just turns the whole thing on its head. Everything that we've ever sort of believed about the body as this container for the soul 
in fact, it's actually the soul is the container for the body. <laughs> and, and the soul is everywhere throughout the body at the same time. And yet the church fathers say that the heart, the reservoir of love is the controlling uh, element the throne of grace, the holy of holies we spoke about last week, according to St. Gregory Palamas, but the church fathers in general. So the whole point then of healing is to bring the soul back from outside the fractured essence of it to the heart or to the love, which means that the whole heart, soul, and mind, including the intellect, reason, will, memory, um, personality, and temperament, all of that must come back to love, but so must the body. What does it mean to truly love the body? And that truly is the subject of this entire series. What does it mean to truly love the body? Because when we tr- truly love the body, then the body is healed. The body is also healed when the soul is healed because the soul is everywhere in the body. So you can see how this intimate unity of soul and body for the human person is so important when we're talking about healing. Now, I'm going to present a contradiction here, sort of. It's not really. It's a paradox. But the soul is united to the body and yet remains distinct from it in the same kind of way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all united and one, and yet they are distinct. And this is part of why it's important to stress that the human person was made in the image of God. St. Gregory of Nyssa says that we show forth our emotions through the organs of the body because they, they are active in the soul. So the soul is not held by the body, but it holds the body. It's not in the body as a vessel or a container, but the body is within the soul. The soul is throughout the body. And so there's no part of the body that does not contain the soul. I know your your brain's probably exploding by this point, but because the body was created incorruptible in the image of God, it will also be resurrected. That's almost a direct quote from St. Paul, but St. Gregory of Sinai is the, is the one who says that. The man's body was created incorruptible and such it, it will be resurrected. And the fact that that was in the readings this week in St. Paul, I, I just find that just stunning how what we're studying is lining up with the readings of the church. Now, John Paul II in Theology of the Body directs us back to the Garden of Eden as our prehistory. And the body, Adam's body, was created incorruptible. And then God brought to Adam, after forming his body from the dust of the earth, which is sort of a euphemism for the physical elements, God fashioned the body, Adam's body, from the elements, the dust of the earth, it says. So the elements of creation, the elements of the earth. And he brought the animals to Adam to show him that there was no other creature like Adam. Adam was created in the image of God. And to this point, I've always understood that to be the soul. The soul of the human person was created in the image of God. But I'm coming to understand that the church fathers put forward the idea 
that man in his unity of body and soul was created in the image of God because Christ existed with God before even creation. And the plan of God to become a human divine person is what the church fathers see as the impetus or the the provocation or the motivation of the fallen angels against the will and the plan of God. They saw that God would, would become a human being and they were required to serve the human being, whether he was God or not. And the fallen angels simply said, I will not serve. I will not serve such a low, a lower creature. And so when the human person was made in the image of God, he was made with the forethought of Christ. Christ, the mystery hidden since the beginning of time in God, Christ in you. St. Gregory of Palamas in talking about the baptism of Christ in the in the Jordan River, he explains why the mystery of the Holy Trinity is revealed when man is created and recreated. He says that it's because man alone is the earthly worshiper of the Holy Trinity, but also because man alone is made in his image, the image of the Trinity. The animals, they have a a spirit a living, vital spirit. And that can't exist of itself. It has to have a body. But they don't have a mind and intellect. Whereas the angels, they have intellect and reason since they are rational, but they don't have the life-giving spirit because they don't have a body that is animated by the spirit. So because man has both intellect and life-giving spirit, that is what gives the life to the body, he alone is the image of the trihypostatic nature. Now, the interchangeability in the writings of church history and the church fathers and even in the scriptures between the words soul and spirit, it can become somewhat confusing. But in general, the word soul, when we're talking about the life-giving animation, the the bodily animating thing, we're saying the spirit. It's the thing that also animates the animals. They have a, a sort of spirit. It's not eternal and it's not rational. It's not intellectual, but it is a sort of life-giving breath. And in the same way, humans also have that, but it's In that life-giving breath, there is also intellect and reason and personality and will and love where the animals don't have that. Our spirit, the life-giving spirit, is what animates our bodies. And it has a particular character that the animals don't have. That particular character we share with the angels, but the angels do not have a body. And so they don't have that sort of life-giving breath that God breathed into Adam at his creation. So we alone then are the image of the Trinity in its fullness. God the Father, pure creative spirit. God the Son, divine and human. God the Holy Spirit, the life giver. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake.
Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. If you're tired of being harassed by anxiety, fear, and depression, if you're ready to end the constant drama and pain in your relationships and circumstances, if you're sick of pain and disease and constant fatigue in your body, you need the Sacred Healing Masterclass. It's packed with practical tools for healing anxiety and woundedness, 10 hours of biblical Catholic teaching on healing for the heart, soul, mind, and body, and the latest science in physics, neuroscience, and somatic psychology. Healing is your promise and inheritance in Christ. Go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com homepage and click on the Sacred Healing Masterclass for details on how you can be healed. You will experience healing through this masterclass, and what you learn will dispose you for love, heart, soul, mind, and strength for the rest of your life. was created incorruptible in the beginning in Adam. And when Eve was presented to Adam as his equal, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So you can see that the likeness that Eve shared with Adam was not only the intellectual and the spiritual, but also the physical, the body. It, that was the thing that he was, he was so enamored with. He, he, the words that he uses there, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's hard to communicate the awe with which he made that statement. Eve was one like him with personality and will and reason and intellect and love and emotion, but body too. And so when they sinned, all of that incorruptibility and all of that order and all of the control Adam and Eve had through the soul driven by love over the body, all of that control was completely shattered. And not just for the human beings, but also for all of creation. Everything got got fractured and twisted and was no longer operating First of all, it was no longer operating freely, but it was no longer operating in the correct order. The correct order is motivated by love. We engage our will and reason and intellect and emotions. All of that, the, the faculties of the soul, move the body effortlessly without a fight to the actions that the body is required and needs to take. And at the fall, the body came into control. The body then began controlling the soul so that the body does what it wants while the soul, if it is trying to follow God, struggles against it. And that's why Paul says in the book of Romans, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. So there is a war, he says, between the body and soul. And that is the war that Jesus came to correct. And that's why Paul says in chapter 8, Um, 23 of the book of Romans, we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies and redemption, the kingdom remember begins now. So that redemption begins now. The second coming begins now. 
The resurrection of the dead begins now. That is what was inaugurated by the coming of Christ in the flesh. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all of that bought for us the proper order and the proper control of the soul over the body once more. And as the soul comes more and more in control of the body, as the faculties of the soul and the will and the reason and the memory and the personality and the love of the person, as all of those things become unified in him, because trauma and sin fracture all of those parts of us, once they become integrated and they are they are ordered properly, then the healed soul can operate effortless, effortlessly and properly and morally in the body. And then because the soul is everywhere in the body at once, the whole body is healthy. Now, that was actually a verse in the scriptures this past week that I have really, really sat with over just a long period of time. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in you, therefore, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the lamp of the body is the eye. The church fathers understand the eye to be the soul. The lamp of the body is the soul. If therefore your soul is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your soul is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, the words good and bad, the word good there is actually meant, the the meaning there is one, unified, unfractured, integrated, whole, saved. The word salvation in the scriptures is this kind of big full word. It means integration, wholeness, fullness, salvation, peace. It means peace, oneness. If the soul is one, the body will be full of light. I don't know what that means to you, but what does it mean that your body is full of light? You can't be sick if your body is full of light. And we know from the scriptures that that light is love, according to John, the apostle. That's just, uh, that's a tangent here. But this whole passage just fascinates me. If your soul is one, if your soul is good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your soul is bad or fractured, then your whole body will be full of darkness. A dark body is a sick body. It is a body that needs to be healed. So whether we start with the healing of the soul and then the body follows or whether we struggle to drive this sin, the law of sin, out of our body and to install in its place the oversight of the soul, whichever one you begin with, and the church fathers pretty much unanimously recommend that you subjugate the body to the soul because the body is that through which we sin. It doesn't matter ultimately, though, where you start because they're so intimately connected. Where one goes, the other goes. But what I love about this passage is is that if your eye is good, if your soul is one, if it's unified, your whole body will be full of light. That sounds to me like a promise. And I think that a lot of times we're so, we're sick. We're so physically sick because the soul is so physically sick. 
and we don't even know it. Now, of course, that comes from trauma, that comes from sin that was sinned against us, and sin that we sin out of that sin that has been sinned against us, but ultimately, the answer is sin. We suffer physically, we get sick physically, we suffer, period, whether it's in the soul or the body, we suffer because of sin. And in the beginning, when we're children, it is sin that's sinned against us. But even further back than that, it's original sin. And so only God could have redeemed that. And he did. And because he did, we can restore the oneness of the eye of the the body, the lamp of the body, the soul. We can restore. He can restore the oneness, the integration, the wholeness, the the goodness of the soul so that the body is full of light and vice versa. The body can't be full of light when it has lived in a, a life of sin. It just can't. And so if you have sinned long term in the body by abusing it through addiction or or excess or anything else, if we have lived a life of sin in the body, then the body is necessarily going to be sick. So we have to then work as co-creators, John uh John Paul II said in Theology of the Body, we have to work as co-creators. We are subject of both sin and salvation, but we're also co-creators of both sin and salvation. And because that is true, our bodies yearn, our bodies groan inwardly waiting for the redemption of our bodies. They, they, your body groans, your body speaks to you through its symptoms. It is yearning for that redemption. The same attention to its redemption that you give to your spirit and your soul and your emotions and your thoughts. All of it is important. And that's why in my masterclass, I take that verse that Jesus talked about, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And we look at every single one of those because it is necessary to love and be loved in every one of those areas so that the the lamp of the body or the eye of the body or the soul can be integrated and healed and the body can too. So I'm not trying to give you a bunch of hopium where every single one of your physical symptoms can be redeemed and every one of them can be relieved and you can be fully healed here on earth. I believe that most of our physical maladies can definitely be healed. But Ultimately, we all die because of that original sin. But even death in Christ means redemption for the Christian. We become one with God fully and completely in beatitude, which that word beatitude simply means bliss. It is the oneness, the union of the soul fully with God. The soul has apprehended or laid hold of God fully, whereas here... It is accomplished in increments, according to both John of the Cross and John Paul II in Theology of the Body. That purification happens in increments here, first physically and then spiritually. But either way, it is a continual process of purifying and integrating all the parts of the human person so that we can be fully redeemed body and soul.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. about suffering what is the point of suffering both physical and spiritual or emotional John Paul II wrote an apostolic letter Salvifici Dolores meaning redemptive suffering and what's interesting about this apostolic letter is that he begins with something Paul says in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church And he talks about how this statement by Paul, it comes at the end of a long period of trying to process suffering and ministry. It's sort of this, he says, uh, JP2 says, this final discovery accompanied by joy, because he also says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So that it seems that Paul has come to this discovery about suffering, that it is something we should rejoice in, which I know if you're suffering physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually in any of those ways, suffering is not fun. But John Paul II, who remember was very influenced by John of the Cross, the scriptures themselves, they talk about the fact that suffering is purifying, Particularly in the Old Testament, we see this emphasis on suffering as a personal, both a punishment and even a purification. Later on in the New Testament, we see that through Christ, suffering can actually be apostolic as well. And that is sort of this understanding, John Paul II says, that Paul came to. He talks about how suffering seems to belong to man's transcendence, through which we are, in a certain sense, destined to, be go, to go beyond ourselves, and suffering is such that we are called to it in some mysterious way. Suffering is inseparable from man's earthly existence, and so it has its own specific mystery, and it's the kind of mystery that we all wrestle with when we, when we encounter and we experience suffering. We have this wrestling with God. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Or why does this happen to such a good person or, or children or all of the ugly, ugly suffering that we see? And I want to just highlight and keep in mind that suffering was never meant to be experienced. God never intended for us to know the depth of evil that human people could fall into and could experience. That was the direct knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve received when they ate of the the fruit in the Garden of Eden. They suddenly had this, this overwhelming sense of the evil of suffering. And the, the feeling of it, how it affects both the soul and the body. And if you have ever seen pictures of children who've been abused or 
anything like that, anything that is just so inherently evil and it's so backward and so iniquitous, which just means twisted. If you've seen something like that and it has turned your stomach or you've watched something on a movie or something like that and you just walk away going, I just can't watch this. It is just, it's it's something about it. It's just too evil. If you have had that feeling, then you know exactly what John Paul II and St. Paul are both talking about and exactly what God was trying to protect Adam and Eve from in the Garden of Eden. So man has this knowledge of good and evil. Man has a knowledge and experience of evil. And man experiences evil through suffering and through death. And neither of those two was ever meant to be the experience of the creation of man. God did not create man in that state. Man chose that state for himself. And so each of us is born into that state of original sin. We are sinned against when we're children, when we're innocent, when we don't know any better, we have no control and we're vulnerable. And then we go on to sin our own personal sin in a way that compounds the evil and the suffering and the death both in the body and in the soul, the fracturing of the human soul, which brings about the death of the body as well. So that is why we suffer. We suffer because of original sin and we suffer because of sin, 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 sin against us. And we suffer because we sin out of that sin. So it's a constant cycle that must be broken. And only Jesus could do that for us because he was both is both divine and human. Only he had the power to conquer sin and death so completely that he could then turn suffering and death and evil, even that, to our good. Hallelujah and praise the Lord for the sacrifice of our Savior. John Paul II says that suffering, that nothing else requires as much as suffering does from us. Its objective reality must be dealt with. It must be meditated on. And it is a, an explicit problem for us. Personally, our suffering is inexpressible. It's not transferable to another person. And so because we individually each suffer, each to his own degree, and of course, that brings about the, the mystery of the providence of God. Why do some people suffer more than others and people who we would say are, they don't deserve it? For instance, Job. Why did Job suffer? And for the first time in biblical literature in the Old Testament history, we see that, that suffering is not necessarily a punishment for sin. Job is actually the first time that was presented because all throughout the Old, Tes Old Testament, the, the understanding of suffering was that suffering is a payment for sin. It is a consequence. It's a punishment. And there is some truth to that. But the book of Job helped correct that sum in that it is simply an evil that comes originally from original sin that we all experience. And sometimes the suffering that we experience is not a matter of personal sin. It can be sin against us. But either way, it is meant to purify us, the scriptures tell us, personally first and then apostolically. That's why John of the Cross goes through that purification process first in the senses way through the, the control of the body and and starting to get control of the soul and the faculties of the soul. So that purification occurs first through suffering, 
for the purification of the senses, the stuff of the body and the passions of the body. And then God finishes it in the spiritual way, in the depths of the heart, in the depths of the soul, in the depths of the memory where we cannot reach. And so it is a co-creation. Redemption is a co-creation for us. As John, I'm sorry, as uh, John Paul II said originally in the theology of the body, which I presented earlier, but the two, you can see John on the cross and, and JP2, they go together speaking of love purifying us of sin first in the senses and then in the spirit. And the Bible itself also has that same teaching on suffering. Peter says in his letters that if we have suffered in the flesh, we have ceased from sin. He says in first Peter chapter four, verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same mind or the same thinking. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so what we see there is in, um, Later on in verses 12 through 14, I'll read those. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is trying you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. Then verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. What he's saying there is, we don't always know why we're suffering, but if there is sin, then we should be actively pursuing the purification of that sin in our bodies by subjecting our bodies to our souls because Jesus has restored the proper order and rank of the human person. The soul is meant to go to guide the body. It's in control of the body. We have to subject the body to the soul and what the soul knows is right and good, which means we discipline the body. And so we will suffer in that. It is the the flesh will scream at you when you begin to discipline it. When you begin to draw it under subjection to the subjection of your soul and your spirit and your mind, your body will scream at you. But you have control of your thoughts and emotions and your body. You have control of your body. If you continue to sin, Paul says, it's because you have chosen it. We must fight against the flesh and subject it to what is good and right and what is authentic love. Because if we do that... It says, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying there is that the purification that we undergo co-creating with God With love, the integration of the soul's faculties with the body that produces light in the body, we are co-creators with that and we must, we must be busy about that. We must work at that. But the gospel of the body says that it is not only possible, it is a promise. More on suffering and how to make that promise a reality in healing for your body in the coming shows.
Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.